smart. I feel like Frankenstein put my system together today. I'm 30 cents away from getting my next royalty check. <laughs> Way outside the box. I have no idea at this point what that's going to look like, but... Some examples, please. Can we have some examples? Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is episode 18 with Melissa Ashman. She is in the School of Business at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. Anyway, enough about me, Melissa. Welcome. And Thank you. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am a former science writer turned science communicator turned science educator turned business communications instructor. <laughs> you sound like my sound system today, just kind of patchwork together. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit like that. Yeah. So uh, what got you uh, from the science sector over to the business sector? Because they're not really close. No, they're not. Well, they are and they aren't. So I I did my undergrad in science okay. um, and then I became a science writer. I graduated with a science degree and didn't want to work, didn't want to be a doctor anymore, didn't want to work in a lab, didn't want to work in a field. Mm -hmm. So I realized I liked writing. So I became a science writer um, and actually helped a researcher write a textbook that was published by McGill oh. Queen's University Press, uh, oh, wow. a textbook on climate change. Really? Um, yeah. Is it available right now? It was published 10 years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm 30 cents away from getting my next royalty check. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. It's taken then, me about six years to, to reach this point. So Nice. Then you can go buy that Vente Latte you've always wanted. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then I started working in science communications and um, I have a master's degree in communications okay. um, and I really loved it. I worked in brain research and then cancer prevention and then I had this opportunity to move into um, an education role at one of the research centers I was at and I took it on okay. um, and then myself and all my colleagues got laid off. We lost our research funding and so I took the leap into uh, teaching full-time. Okay. Yeah. Wow. wow. So what, what, that must have felt, that must have sucked. Uh, the, all, all of you at the same time? Yeah. So there were eight of us who got laid off. We Is that just, the nature of that business where it's like yeah. up and down, up and down? Yeah. So when the economy crashed in the late, you know, 2008, 2007, 2009, the funding cycle took a few years to to play out. Um, and so the impact on research and health research in Canada in particular um, was a little bit delayed and then you throw on top of that working in the arena of prevention and cancer prevention it's not necessarily as glamorous as other types of research so what uh, really so as a, as a layman i'm thinking like okay cancer research like that's always at the top of the pile right because i mean it seems like every every year they're coming out with some kind of different cancer that that we didn't know about before and and it really wasn't that on the wasn't that on the front burner at all. So treatment 
Treatment is a different arena than prevention. And so prevention is not as glamorous, but prevention has the potential to have the biggest impact. Oh, for sure. So. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, well, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have started working at Quantlin and I wouldn't Very be true. teaching. So. Very true. One domino yeah. hits another one and here you are at Quantlin. Exactly. So tell us about your first week at Quantlin. How'd you feel? Uh, so I think I signed the contract on the day the university was closing before the winter break. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it was awesome. a little bit... Um, frenzied I would say and just sort of getting used to it was my first time teaching at a post-secondary institution like teaching a class I'd done training sessions before Um, so it was a bit I got thrown into it and I used the commercial textbook and which was okay (laughs) no judgment here we're all good uh yeah it just it was such an expensive textbook and it was so thick and it was so boring and so dry and i struggled i was reading it along at the same time as my students and i was struggling to stay awake while reading it so yeah so uh yeah i kind of fell into open pedagogy and open education through um not wanting to torture my students with having to read this really dry, boring textbook, but also not having to spend money. Um, right. Because I could see the impact that that was having on students. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And so the time frame of you coming to Quantlin, you said was like three years ago, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Quantlin probably wasn't as big in the open arena as it is now three years ago, uh, but I'm, but I know that they were dipping their toes into it and, and making some waves. Um, How was, how was it, uh, or how hard was it to transition from a, from a uh, publishing textbook to an open textbook? It actually wasn't that difficult, surprisingly. So the first semester I taught was the spring 2017 semester Mm -hmm. and I used the commercial textbook and I was making all of my materials and everything anyways. And then I realized there's so much of the textbook that I wasn't using. So for my second and third semesters of teaching, I sca- I still use the commercial textbook, but I scaled back. Instead of reading all of chapter one, just read these 20 pages. But okay. um, consistently students needed to still buy the entire book. And so um, at the end of my first full year of teaching, I just decided to jump into it. And I kind of quietly off the side of my deck desk you know in the evenings remixed and adapted a bunch of sources and put it out into the world and was like here you go and it kind of just others in my department got interested in it um I suddenly discovered there were all these other people at Quantlin doing open and so I'm not (laughs) the only one um so it it was a lot of work um but it wasn't that difficult I really liked how I was able to tailor it and take out a lot of the crap and uh, that, yeah, that isn't yeah. and make it more reflective of the students in my classroom and the examples and the ability to adapt it and change it if something isn't working or if new sources come out to be able to change it um, quite quickly. So it actually wasn't that difficult, but I am familiar. I, I like to think that I'm tech savvy and so using press books was was not that difficult for me personally uh, okay are you on any other social platforms than twitter uh not professionally i mean okay. there's linkedin which i never look at yeah <laughs> who does really i mean <laughs> okay cool um so 
Did you use a uh, the commercial textbook? And I'm asking because I'm right in the middle of switching over from a commercial textbook to an open textbook in organizational behavior that I teach. Mm-hmm. And the, the biggest thing I've noticed is, uh, well, the organizational behavior book is from Rice University. So it's all, not all, but there's US-based stuff in it. So changing it to Canada-based and changing some of the stuff. Did you find it hard to do that? Or did you have, like, did you use a Canadian to Canadian? Or tell me about your process there. Yeah, I used a mix of sources. So what I did is I went through the learning outcomes and the topics that I teach in the course and decided, okay, which topics and subject areas do I need to find? And I just started searching, searching repositories of open textbooks and compiling a list. I had this massive spreadsheet of what what textbooks, what the information was, what what I liked about certain subjects and topic areas and which ones I wasn't going to use. So I had this massive spreadsheet and then I organized the information and then started copying and pasting and, and changing things that way. So I had a, my drawing on my event planning experience and project management experience. I just put together um, a plan to do it. And it really only took about maybe six weeks to do. Really? Wow off the side of my desk yeah yeah unfortunately a lot of that gets done off the side of the desks right but you know yeah. it's just it's, it's part of the passion that drives people to do it that way um i have I've one more practical question um how did you work it out with the bookstore that uh students could could get the book yeah so um rajiv uh rajiv Janiani did all the sort of legwork at Kwantlen to have the negotiations to have print on demand established at kpu so it's pretty easy to um for students who want to have a print copy um they can i've submitted the link and information to the print shop already through the bookstore and they can they can print it if they want i've also printed copies and put printed copies in all of our libraries so if students don't want to or can't afford that financial cost, even though it is a reduced rate, um, they can still access a printed copy through our libraries. So how many copies did you have in your library? Uh, just uh, three or four, one on each mm-hmm. campus. And, and that was enough, you thought? I'm just asking because I'm curious because I'm right there. Yeah. So this is the first semester that I've done it, um, that I like printed the the textbook out for students so um i'll be curious to see if students have been taking it out i don't know that they have um something that i need to that i need to work at better integrating is the textbook readings with the course lessons and sort of drawing that connection um but i find that students are so pressed for time that um, I'm happy if they're just skimming the material or if they're aware of the topic that we're going to be covering that day and that they know that the resource is there if they want to have a deeper dive into it. Yeah. And that's one other reason why I kind of look to the open textbook in the sense that I know that students aren't getting deep into the textbook. And, and I know for, from experience that these students aren't going to keep the textbook. They, they, they just want to offload it as soon as they can. So they're, they're not even going to use it as a resource later on in their life. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel the same. Chad? I have a question in regards to like, Tim and I often talk about how we kind of were doing open before we even understood what open was. And in your experience, Melissa, like, did you have a formal understanding of what open was before you started building your open materials? Like, I know I, coming from Kwantlen, you have obviously Rajiv and Arlie there, but, or did, were you starting to do this and then realize that, hey, there's actually a name for this? Um, 
A little bit of, of both. Um, <laughs> I was kind of blissfully unaware that all of this was happening <laughs> at KPU, um, but not wanting to use the commercial resources, the paid resources, um, and open textbooks I was kind of aware of, um, but the idea that there's open pedagogy and open so much more beyond just the textbooks, um, I wasn't aware of at the time. Um, and I really credit Rajiv and uh, Arlie Crothers uh, for, uh, for modeling what that can look like and um, helping bring me up to speed on what what can be in terms of open education and open pedagogy. Um, yeah, right. The whole it's not just about the resources, but there's something in the practice as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What is what are some of the things that you're doing in your practice that have changed, you would say, over the past three years? Uh, definitely trying to infuse more um, compassion and care for students into my teaching um, and really changing up the assessments and the projects that I do. So for the first time this semester, I've been running an open pedagogy assignment um, where students have been have selected a topic or page on Wikipedia that they want to revise and update and working in small groups to to edit those pages and revise them. We've been doing it outside of the Wikipedia environment um, due to a little bit of a hiccup in terms of having our, our legal counsel or legal office sort of sign off and okay having students work on a platform based on servers not in Canada and privacy. Yeah, that's, that's that. a big deal. Yeah. Um, but um, the student and focusing on the process so the students are not marked on the revision the revised article um, they're marked on the process and a report that they do around what did they learn about teamwork and working together and researching and writing um, and then they take that um, and remix it and teach that information to a new audience so really sort of inspired by some of the work that Arlie has done and uh, it gives students a lot more freedom, which is a little bit scary, I think, at first. It kind of took us seven weeks. The cl my classes consistently, probably about seven weeks before the students were okay with <laughs> what was happening in the class and how they were going to be marked and assessed. Um, but it, it gives them more flexibility, so um, they have more choice. It's more relevant to whatever it is that they might be doing when they graduate because I'm passionate about business communications and writing, um, but I can't ignore the fact that students are taking this course because it's mandated by their degree or their diploma um, and that business communications might not be their number one choice for um, courses to take. <laughs> <laughs> what? Weird. What? <laughs> That's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, I have the same problem uh, issue, um, fun situation in organizational behavior. Some of them are taking it just because it's a prereq for the, uh, the, the the diploma or the degree, and th those those kind of tend to stand out uh, pretty quickly, right? And it's been my experience that the, the others tend to draw them in like a bit of a vacuum and and have them pretty soon everyone's playing along pretty fair, right? But uh, yeah, I, I can I can definitely connect with your your seven week uh, <laughs> introduction to uh, to the open. So well, it's so different for them, just as well as it is for us, right? And so we need to. And I think yeah. part of it, like Melissa was saying, with the pedagogy of care kind of thing, where we 
got to be aware that our students, this is way outside the box as far as they're concerned. They're so used to, you know, you have to read the textbook. Yeah, you have quizzes that are going to be done. You're going to have an assignment that's done. There's a few discussions. And then suddenly you're saying, no, we're going to open this up a little bit more. And they're like, well, this does not feel right. So it takes a while. I find that too in my own practice, right? It takes a while for them to get comfortable with it. And I get a lot of pushback. Some of them really want to have those, those assessments like they've had throughout their whole education career. And so to say, no, no, we're going to try this and trust me and almost every one of them at the end of it comes back saying, no, that was a great experience, but it is, it's messy and it's kind of scary for everybody, but at least we're all in it together in this point, right? You lose that power. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It's, uh, I I remember at one point, I think in week five or week six, I was up at the board, like drawing arrows and pictures and people and like, this is how you're used to it working. And this is not what's happening. And this is how you're being worked and what, you know, being marked on and this is how this will work and being okay with being okay with the students being uncomfortable mm-hmm. was difficult. Um, yes. Because I know that it feels risky, it feels uncomfortable, but offering lots of reassurance. Um, and students wanted to see samples. Well, can I see a sample of this? And it's like, <laughs> yes. well, I don't have a sample because this is the first time I'm doing this, which yeah. wasn't necessarily in. I mean, it was good, but maybe wasn't instilling the most confidence. <laughs> right. <laughs> Took a little while to build the trust at that point too, yes. right? Yeah. And some students were, you know, they're still uncomfortable with this idea that they participated in this project and they did all this work and they're not receiving a mark on what it is that they produced. Instead, they're being marked on this report about their explanation of how it went. And there are some students who some of the feedback that um, in that report, I asked them, you know, what recommendations do you have? How, what should, what are your thoughts around this? And some students said, well, it was difficult to, even though I was working with others and accountable to others, because there was no grade assigned to what we were actually producing. So the revised Wikipedia article, it was hard to feel motivated to do it. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And so there were some groups that still struggled with that. But then in writing their reflection report, many of those students realized, oh, well, there's still I still learned this and I still learned that. And oh, this is where the learning is. Um, So it's different. There might be some changes that I'll be making for next semester. Um, I'll be teaching a third year course next semester as well. And I'm going to be um, embarking on co-creating rubrics with the students. Oh, wow. Oh, look at you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just kind of take like more and more and more. So I have no idea at this point what that's going to look like. (laughs) Especially with third year students, because they're they're the most freaked out, stressed out students in the world because they they know they're close, but they're not that close. And yeah. They're in third year. It's usually the hardest year or they pack a ton in and and you're just going to ramp it up a tiny bit by saying, let's get together and work on that rubric. Yeah, there'll be lots of scaffolding (laughs) along the way um, and probably lots of diagrams on the board. (laughs) Some examples, please. Can we have some examples? Are you going to assess them the same way where they're not going to be necessarily graded on the rubrics, but they're going to be graded on the process, like a lot of reflection? Is that kind of what you're building? 
coming in. Yeah, so um, I'm going to have them work in small groups again. So the sort of the structure of it is similar to what I'm doing in my first year class. They'll be working in small groups um, to create business communications, cases or scenarios that would be useful and relevant to first year students. So they'll be working and creating those. So um, they'll be creating the rubric for the workshop where they are testing the cases and testing the scenarios and reviewing them and peer reviewing them. So they'll be participating in that workshop. So what does, how do you, how do they want to be marked on that? What does that rubric look like? So we will be creating that together. Yeah, it's going to get messy. It's going to be awesome. Messy. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. You know what? Rubrics. I'm writing this down because we're going to invite <laughs> Melissa and Arlie to come to a show together because you guys are messing up the whole world out there <laughs> and we got to get we got to get you two in a virtual room and then the four of us need to chat about this because this this is revolutionary right like not only for you in the sense of, yes. of your practice uh, but revolutionary in business communication and especially for these students because especially third years right if they didn't have you for first year now you've got K to 12 and one and two to kind of unravel, put all back together and then launch them out. So would you be open to coming back? For yeah, for sure. It's, it's funny. So Arlie, uh, Arlie, uh, Andrea Niosi and another colleague of ours, Pamela Ip, uh, in marketing at KPU. We're getting together in a couple of weeks to talk about ungrading. So we're, we're going, we're taking it even further and while crafting. Crafting, while crafting while crafting we'll be crafting and uh talking <laughs> open pedagogy and ungrading crafting like paper, scissors, glue kind of crafting? yeah we'll be making i believe that we're going to be making reusable um food wrappers with like beeswax awesome. and fabric you know i've heard of that I've heard of that. Oh, you're just, oh, I'm getting so excited about this. We got it. That's, oh, this is going to be good. Good deal. Oh, Chad, you got any more questions for her? No, actually. Well, I mean, I have lots, but we're, getting, we're creeping up on time, I think. So. Yeah, we are. We're, we're pushing up against time. So, Melissa, uh, before you go, uh, I mean, you already answered the big question that you'll come back. That's always good because um, we've laughed a lot. It means that it's been, it's been a good experience. <laughs> uh, two, the next one is um, what has surprised you the most about being in the open? Just how much of a, just the opportunity, the risk and the opportunity, just the opportunity to engage with others and to see what others are doing. Um, I think that has surprised me is how, how excited everyone I talk to about open education or open pedagogy, just the enthusiasm that there is and how it's growing, particularly at Kwantlen. Um, I had the opportunity to go to the Open Education Conference in Phoenix uh, in the end of October and just to be surrounded by, you know, 400, 500, 600 people who are geeking out over this just <laughs> as much as I am was somehow surprising nerds. to me. Yeah, 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 for sure. OER nerds. There should be a button out there. OER nerd. I'm sure yeah. there is. Uh, yeah, we got to get that. Um, oh, okay, so uh, what book are you reading right now? I have just started reading uh, Colonized Classrooms, Racism, Trauma, and Resistance in Post-Secondary Education. Very cool. I realize that's backwards. That's okay. um, so talking about decolonization um, 
and reconciliation in post-secondary classrooms. I'm only nice. on page 24. <laughs> so what, what turned you on to that book? Um, so my colleague Arlie has a time release around um, decolonization in the School of Business. Um, and she was speaking with someone from Indigenous Services at KPU and they recommended this book. So I just picked it up and thought it would be a good read. Yeah, that's awesome. What's your favorite band? I am going to perhaps date myself here. That's okay. I'm going to say probably Chili Peppers, Red Hot Chili Peppers. <gasps> Chili Peppers. Nice. I saw them in concert years ago and it was probably the best con- uh, concert I've been to. That and Beastie Boys. That's oh, Beastie oh, Boys would be amazing. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's a good pick. So here's, here's, here's where picks. you would be really dated. Right? Did you see the Chili Peppers at Lollapalooza? No. Ah, okay. So you saw them after. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I think it was uh, Pacific Coliseum, actually. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much, Melissa, Mm -hmm. for being on the show. Thank you for um, having me. Thank you. Oh, our pleasure. You kidding? Thirty minutes is not enough, Chad. We gotta, <laughs> no, we, gotta bump this, we gotta bump this thing up. Uh, um, Time flies. No, it does. it's crazy, but it does open the door for more episodes in the future. So we will definitely have a symposium summit get together. Maybe we'll virtually craft chat. Sounds good. <laughs> I'd be down with that. <laughs> we we we, right. we could do virtual craft beer. Ah, uh, bingo. Ding, 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 ding. Different types of crafting. <laughs> nice. Exactly. Nice. You guys can craft any way you want. Chad and I, this is how we're going to craft. Yeah, exactly. Sounds right. good. Good, good deal. All right. So thanks again, Melissa. And all of you listening, uh, please tune in to uh, the, the uh, Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, or as Chad calls it. P-cubed. Yeah, before, before we go, Melissa, how do people find you on Twitter? Yep. I am at Applied Comms. So A-P-P-L-I-E-D-C-O-M-M-S. Okay. Awesome. We will, we will link that into the show notes. And I'm I'm trying so hard to get show notes in, but uh, well, we'll, we'll get them in one day. One day. We, call them myst- we call them mystical because you never know when they're going to show up. <laughs> but um, anyway, we'll, we'll get those in there. So thanks again so much. And uh, everybody, if you're listening to us on iTunes, go to iTunes, rate us, give us five stars because that just makes Chad and I feel nice and warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, Melissa, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay. This part, the feeling that you stay